And welcome back to another episode of Speaking Literally, where the books speak for themselves. I'm Liz. And I'm Holly. And it's book lockdown. Uh, <laughs> uh, we had <laughs> such an ins- The last one we did was, what, back in December? No, January, wasn't it? No, I think it was... Yeah, because we did um, just like magic, just like magic for, for for the holidays, and now we <laughs> we we took on Stephen King and we came out successful. We all finished we came, the book. We saw. We conquered. <laughs> exactly. We conquered Stephen King. Uh, yeah, it was. It's been crazy. We went from a really easy, kind of nice, soft going. Um, rom-com christmas like festive one to a beast of a book <laughs> and it was my yeah, first stephen king the guy had never read a stephen king book before so have you never read one no oh. don't worry i've seen all of the movies and um i mean i read it but i was probably like eight years old and my mom wow. read it out loud to me um but as far as that, I know. <laughs> I wish everybody could not, see your face. Not every single bit. Please don't say oh, yeah. you read every single bit. Yeah. My mom did not censor books for us. <laughs> there was like a pedophilic bit, and you you heard that as an eight-year-old. Oh, my Yeah. Wow. Wow, that is not an eight-year-old book. You know, it's, it's, it, it's, a, it's surprising that I turned out to be a somewhat well-adjusted adult then, huh? <laughs> Okay, let's turn this... on to the. <laughs> <laughs> All right, no, let's move really, on. We're really, ex- <laughs> we are very excited to welcome um, Jen and Steph back on shortly, mm-hmm. uh, where we'll be discussing eleven twenty-two sixty-three. I keep wanting to say twenty-two eleven sixty-three because I'm British, but <laughs> that's true. But yeah, it is eleven twenty-two sixty-three. Yes. So yeah, uh, let's just get straight into our. Yeah, our what's our first topic? So I thought oh, this would be a really good topic to talk about because we've had a lot of book bannings in America um, that we've talked about throughout throughout this year and last year and such. Um, now this time it's the UK's turn. Um, this has been going on for a, a few weeks now. Uh, basically, the publishers of Roald Dahl, who um, is an absolutely fantastic author, um, no longer with us sadly, but he wrote some brilliant kids' books, Matilda, The Twits, The Witches... Um, all the Charlie and the Chocolate kind of Factory. Exactly. Some classics that we grew James and Giant Peach, mm-hmm. um, that we all grew up reading and, and watching the films for. Um, but the publishers have now decided that we can't kind of expose the new generation to his language and his offensiveness. Um, so they are, they have re released the material with um, words such as fat removed, uh, ugly. Any racist phrases uh, and also any gendered phrases, uh, which is kind of strange. But um, so, yeah, they have done this. Um, there obviously there was a massive uproar across the book community, which <laughs> you is, think? isn't to be expected. It is, yeah, exactly. It's not surprising. Um, and they have now said they are going to release uh, the original versions as well um, alongside these new versions. But it's... It's just getting a bit stupid now. I mean, if you're going to start re- removing racist or offensive language, you have to go through every single book that's ever been written. And a lot of the books wouldn't actually have any <laughs> any meaning to them after that. It, think about some of the greats. Yeah, and what's really frustrating is, like, 
you know, we have been dealing with, you know, banned books and censoring, you know, books forever. Um, yeah. But I I just feel this takes it to a whole nother level because now you're actually impacting the words on the page that the author put. Like at least exactly. when, yeah, when books are banned or challenged, it's just they don't want people necessarily reading those books because of the content. They're not actually going into a manuscript and removing words and changing yeah. words. Because I think of a book like To Kill a Mockingbird. Like, yes, there are some racist words in there, but I think part of the the power of that book is because it reflects the time period and yeah, now definitely. reading that book, we can see the issues with with some mm. of those those experiences, and we can have those conversations about you know why it's wrong and and how it impacts people. And you know if you go into To Kill a Mockingbird and change all those scenes, you've completely changed, changed the, the meaning of the story. Yes, and and yeah, exactly. I mean it's I like, mean we, we know like we know and we love Roldau as being this raw kind of he was no hold, holds barred he was like right out there as gruesome and disgusting as you want to go because that was his kind of humor and yeah. that's what kids want kids want the kind of the gruesome the kind of hairy ugly fat they don't want everyone being pretty and like think about it how did they rewrite the witches the witches were all ugly hags mm -hmm. so what we've now got a story about some three pretty witches yeah, and and what does that do it, i think that mm -hmm. all that does is change it it changes the issue because if you change the yeah. witches from their like how they're presented as like you know hags to what beautiful stereotypical women like now you're you're addressing a different sort of issue on how you know, people are perceived in, in media. And like, exactly. it's just, I am proud that the United States um, branch of the publishing company is saying, nope, we're not doing it. We're not doing it in the United States. So, um, so I, I appreciate that fact. It's mental. Absolutely mental. And, and I also um, wonder why, why him be, and, uh, Probably because he's a British author, but then I look yeah. at someone like Judy Bloom, who is an American kids author, and you know, we grew up like we grew up with Judy Bloom, and I like the yeah. first book you think of that I would attach to a to a similar perspective as this would be Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, which, by the way, is coming out as an adapted film, and I'm super excited about it because <laughs> yeah, because that book. Looking back, you know, we all kind of read it as like girls, like right around the time we were like nine, ten, you know, <laughs> because if you've read the book, a lot of it is that coming of age, you know, entering mm. kind of puberty uh, and you read it now and you're like, oh, like, <laughs> you know, I could see people wanting to change that and wanting to like not have, you know, kids read that book because it, it yeah. like you said, it's kind of like that no holds bar, like this this is what it's like to be a girl in this time and this is what you're going to go exactly. through like are you going to take that kind of awkwardness out and pretend it doesn't happen no exactly oh that's one yeah i remember reading forever wasn't that the one that um they renamed a certain body part ralph oh maybe <laughs> <laughs> but yeah but just, yeah no, you see that's the thing. I mean, how far do they go? How far, like, 
I think this generation is become, is a little bit too sensitive at times. Mm-hmm. If you don't like a book, don't read it. But, Simple yeah. as that. Yeah. If if you find it offensive, don't read it. Put it put it down. Yeah. You know, and, and it, try and get it edited or censored because that just takes away the free speech which you guys supposedly are fighting for and that you want to to have because you want to have the free speech to be accepted as anything you want to be. So why can't we have the books? Right. Exactly the way that we want them. Yeah. And I'm just glad that they're at least going to continue to release the originals. Because if they it's didn't, it means that, yeah. yeah, that's just, that's a whole, whole nother issue that is just oh, yeah. so unacceptable. I mean, that would mean that you'd have to literally find the old copies in like charity shops and, and thrift shops. Um, because I wouldn't want my kids reading the new versions because that's not who who Roald, Roald ever was. Yeah. And, and I wouldn't want him, I wouldn't want to read this new version to kids because it's not him. Exactly. He's writing. And, and, and you're changing the entire story. And, exactly. you know, and a lot of these, these stories, you know, you the themes that you can help kids look at and talk through are age-appropriate themes and age-appropriate ideals mm-hmm. that they need to talk about. And it's a lot easier to talk about kids um, with kids these these kind of more sensitive topics when you can look at a story and you can kind of help them learn empathy because those are things kids need to learn and exactly. and books help them learn that you know um you know and if you're concerned about the content of a book one as a parent you can make those individual decisions but two read the book with them like you know Mm -hmm. let them experience the book and the story and the lessons but be involved read talk to your kids because because then when the word fat or ugly or whatever comes up you can say to them this isn't the right word like you can't use this in to describe someone else yeah and the power you can make it clear to them that yeah that this is being used in a powerful way in a book but in sort of real life situations don't use it right because like and when usually like in these kind of books like when that is used you can see then the ramification in the other characters and you can connect it to real life you can pull in real life situations and you know kids you know and i see this because you know we talk about like my two teenagers all the time and like before the show started you know liz and i we were talking about my daughter and she's she's 14 she's one of the youngest kids in her class she's first year high school she's again but because she started school early she's the youngest now and mm. she's a little bit of a uh she's having a hard time she's on her first out of state high school trip you know with her high school dance group and it's not going well the kids are being brutal to her and it all stems from like one kid spreading things around in class on a day my daughter wasn't in class and now it's carried over to this and so my poor daughter she's like they're saying these things i don't know what i did i don't know what to you know how you know what i said i don't even know how to apologize and it's it it's hard it it's it's hard to be a kid it's hard to be a teenager it's hard to it's hard to grow up and go through these experiences but they they learn they learn these things they can learn empathy and they can like you know, read books about characters who have similar experiences. If we are changing the books, the kids, you know, I don't know. I just think there's so, there's so many things that, 
you know, if we can help support kids in a way, because sometimes they don't want to talk to us. They don't want to talk to adults when they're having yeah, no, problems. Exactly. Like, you know, and but, I mean, the problem is that if you do, if you continue down the path that they were going, you would be basically treating kids with kid gloves. Yeah. When they need to be exposed to everything, yeah. even like the, the nice and the, the ugly. Just because they need to see what the, what the real world is like. Otherwise, they will get absolutely beaten down when they become a grown-up. Yeah, and, and it's so true. And it's like, I don't know. It, it's, you know, I work in education, so I see I see the different degrees to which parents are involved in their kids' education yeah. and, and, and raising them. And it's like some kids expect us as a school to do everything. And others perceive it as very much a partnership. Like we're doing what we can at home. We're teaching our kids, you know, all of the stuff. And then parents are like, well, I don't know what to do with my kid. I, you know, and it's just like, you know, and, and it's just like, but every time we turn around, you know, things are being taken away in order to be able to help support yeah. kids. And it's just, and I know that seems like a, a huge kind of claim to say when we're just talking about, republishing a book without words like fat and ugly but those are words kids are going to hear from other kids yeah and if they you know and these are stories that for generations we've read generations have read matilda you know the fantastic mr fox charlotte and chocolate factory the bfg like these are generational books that will continue to be generational books Exactly. So stop messing with them, people. I know. <laughs> Keep them as they are. Let so, us enjoy our, but... our fat and our ugly. <laughs> well, and so this kind of transitions this into our second topic, which is adaptations, because if they are going to change and re-release like edited versions of his books, what are they going to do about the movies? Because how many times has Charlie and the Chocolate Factory been remade? You know, we've had the, the the BFG movie came out several years ago. Um, we, yeah, Matilda. we've had two Matildas, mm-hmm. two Matilda films. So are we pulling those movies? Yeah. Like, how does that impact the adaptation? Exactly. I mean, yeah. And, you know, and I think movies are, for, for a lot of people, movies are probably more accessible and, you know, popular than, than reading the books. Because um, not everybody oh, yeah, likes definitely. to read. Um, so, what are they, yeah, so are they re-releasing, are they writing new manuscripts yeah. and re-releasing these adaptations? And then, so one of the biggest adaptations that we're super excited about is um, From Blood and Ash by Jennifer Armentrout. Mm. Yeah! <laughs> Can you imagine them censoring that book? And t- <laughs> I mean, there will be nothing left of the book. <laughs> right? <laughs> you'd, have, you'd have a few little traveling scenes. Like, yes. Them kind of going from one location to another. But yeah, other than that. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's so, but yeah. I, mean, I, I wonder, I, I really hurt, you know, obviously they'll probably start from the first one from Blood and Ash. Mm-hmm. So it'll be a while until they get to the War of Two Queens, until they get to a... um. A certain scene. Yeah, <laughs> but but there's still there's still some some oh, scene. Yeah. I mean, even if it's you're not talking about like you know some of the more mature um, scenes, there's still Skinny. like Skinny scenes. Yeah, and like and violence. The, oh, the violence. Like I just think about that one scene. I, I think I, one. I like when when Poppy goes crazy and she like. I, I still I want to say it's like chapter twenty six. Like I still remember that because I'm like <laughs> oh my god chapter twenty six. 
don't f with poppy like like that that was the moral of that chapter oh i know the one you mean yes that was the first one wasn't it yes because it, mm-hmm. and it's like when she first like yes that oh. was ah, what a great yeah, scene i remember and exactly the one you mean that was yeah that was intense mm-hmm. and uh bloody and brutal bloody <laughs> and brutal and you're like whoa who is this girl um but yes, that was, no, that was pretty cool. Like, we have had, we've had a lot of Armand Trout um, news recently. I mean, to be fair, adaptations we're getting more and more. Mm-hmm. For example, we've, we're meant to be getting a, an Akatar adaptation at some point. That's been in the works for what a few years now. I think we we spoke about it quite early on in the podcast. Um, oh, I hope but... the adaptation's better than the books. Ah, uh... <laughs> <laughs> you haven't read all of them. They do get better. The only one I, I haven't read is the Accord, okay. Accord of Silver Flames. I read the the three the three like initial main ones. Have you read Accord of Frost and Starlight? Not the no, not the novella. I haven't read the novella, and I haven't read um, Accord of Silver Flames. Uh, I have the Silver Flames right here on my shelf. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, that's the only one I've got left to read as well. Yeah. Again, it's a beast. I know. So I'll do it on audio. You know, and it's not that I hate the story. I just feel like the last 150 pages are the best part of the book. The rest of, like, the other 500 pages I could do without. Like, I'm just like... She gets better. She gets. <sighs> she becomes, like, a, a bit more of a rounded person as the books go along. She... The first one, yeah, I get you. She it's was quite kind of weak and pathetic. Crazy. Like, <laughs> literally, like, I don't know what it is about her. Um... That drives me crazy. And it's funny because when you look at books like this, when you look at Akator and you look at um, Blood and Ash, like, they fit, like, I feel like a very stereotypical fantasy mold. They're very different books and the plots are, like, the plots are different, but at the same time, they still have this, like, journey aspect to it where they're overcoming their past and they're figuring out who they are and and it's, it's very, it's very stereotypical. Mm-hmm. And the and the characters are also, in some regards, there's there's elements of just being stock characters to fit these different roles in these fantasy books. I can say that because I love fantasy; it is my go-to comfort genre, and I will continue to forever read them. Um, but with that said, if you look at at Feyre from Akator and you look at Poppy from um, Blood and Ash. They're very different. They're very different. Like they they, they yeah. come from the they're cut from the same cloth, but how they're presented are very different, and that's I think where the author difference comes from and how they're presented. But also, Poppy came from a very restricted, very kind of isolated background. A lot more isolated than than Feyre, if you think about it. I mean, she was, the, she was the maiden. She couldn't do anything. She couldn't talk to many people. She couldn't go out in public without other people around her. And there was a lot of rules that she had to follow. And I think that's why she became such a badass. Because yeah. she was pushed down and she was kind of isolated and suppressed so much that yeah. she, when she rebelled, she was going to rebel hard. Yeah. Then... Why is Pharaoh the way she is? I mean, she didn't have like I mean they she 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 wasn't as suppressed as Poppy was, but no, she I mean, but she, had... she was definitely like lived in isolation like where they were and she yeah it, she, she had a little bit more freedom. Bringing, 
Because, I mean, remember, we found out that at the beginning, like, when she first, this it's kind of a spoiler, but not majorly, um, but they used to have money. When mm-hmm. she was younger, they mm-hmm. used to have money. They used to be quite rich. Mm-hmm. And then they lost all the money, and then, then that's when she had to kind of hunt and everything else. So she came from an interesting background. And I think what we see at times is we see a bit of that privileged girl that she once was come through because of the fact that she she expect like it's almost that she remembers what it was like to be uh-huh. rich and to have whatever she wanted uh-huh. I kind of feel like when we get when you get into it that's kind of who we see we don't really see the independent strong tough kind of I don't need anywhere else yeah because you don't really see her without a man <laughs> for a start <laughs> um, which is yeah um, think about it. Yeah, you don't until like from the start. You don't really see her without a man. Once she's goes to to the courts, mm-hmm. she's I just mean, man of least. Yeah, she's just I don't know. She just she just kind of irks me. Um, I mean, and there <laughs> and don't get me wrong. There was moments where it were Poppy. Poppy kind of irked me a little bit too. Um, but you know, it's it is what it is. But regardless, I'm super, super, super excited about this adaptation from um, from Amazon, um, and that's coming on. You know, where this was just released, you know, last yeah, week. It's still in development. Um, no yeah. casting or anything yet. So it'll be a little while. But yeah. you, this also comes on um, like just days before the new C. Uh, episode or season of Shadow and Bone is released because that's Yay. being released this week. Um, so as yeah, as we well, as this episode drops, it will be in three days' time on the sixteenth of March. Yeah. And to be fair, we've had a lot dropping recently, adaptation wise, because we had so we've got that one coming on sixteenth. Recently we um had the adaptation of Daisy Jones and the Six uh-huh. that came out beginning of March. I still haven't seen it yet, but I will be. <laughs> I haven't seen <laughs> I haven't read list. the book either. <laughs> I, I need to read the oh, book first. I I listen to the audio. The audio is the best way to go because okay. it's a full cast. Yeah, I love so it's that. It's like a radio play. So okay. yeah, they do that. Definitely recommend that. Um, and I'm sure there was another one and I'm trying to remember what it was. Maybe it's just those two. But yeah, we've had a few come out, so a few kind of mainstream ones come out recently. Um, but I'm very excited for season two of Shell and Bone. I'm very excited to see how well they do with Wylan and with Nikolai. Yes. Nikolai's not quite what I imagined, but... Uh, we'll, we'll give them a chance. Yeah, we'll, we'll I mean, see. We do have, we do have the, the sexy Ben Barnes back as the Darkling. who mm-hmm. did a wonderful job last time. Yep, 100%. Oh, <laughs> and have you seen the trailer for it? Oh, uh, yes. Amazing. When it comes to the big, the scratches oh, down. I know. Oh, You know, and, it, and I guess I'm, I'm always intrigued to see because it's like, you know, we focus on like the shadow and bone aspect of it. But don't forget, we have the um, Six of Crows aspect of it yeah. too, and how the, it's been blended over the over the first season. Mm. So I'm still intrigued to see because they're they're two very kind of separate stories that they're bringing together. So I am so interested to see how that continues to to blend uh, and yeah. mold and fold, and it's almost like. In, in some I mean, ways, I feel it's like new. It's like a new, new plots and new stories. Oh yeah, because they're blending characters I mean, that aren't usually together. No, definitely. Because I mean, what's interesting is I'm pretty sure. So, Six of Crows. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. That 
kind of timeline wise started after Shadow and Bone, didn't it? Yes, because uh, so uh, Alina was after, like the yeah, yeah, was yeah. a saint that they kind of like talk about. Yeah. So what's interesting is that um, in the trailer we saw that Alina is going to be searching for those um, amplifiers. What are they called? Amplifiers, which is really exciting. I'm, I can't wait to watch all of that. That's going to be very exciting. So the fact that we've got this going on at the same time is going to be quite quite interesting to see how they weave the two stories in. But I mean, I love um, Jasper and Kaz. I think they've they've really done well with the with the casting for Kaz. I think oh, he's yeah. brilliant. I love him as um, as Kaz. He's so good. Yeah. And oh, what's um? My mind's gone blank. Name of the assassin. Inej? Inej, yeah, that's yeah. it. I think hopefully we're going to see a bit more of her in this one because we didn't really see that much mm-hmm. in season one of her. Yeah. But so, yeah. So exciting. You know, and it's I funny. Mean, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it in September, will we? Eh? <laughs> <laughs> when I finally get around to watching it. <laughs> Um, wait, you have spring break next week. I know, but I still I still have to work. It's just a little easier. Maybe I'll put it on in my office while I'm getting some work done, and then I can multitask with it. No, what would end up happening is I'd be sitting at my desk watching it, not getting anything done, and I'd be like, why am I not getting anything done? Oh, because I'm watching Shadow and Bone. That's why. Um, There's only going to be about six episodes, so just watch two episodes a day. That's only an hour and a half out of your, out that's of your day. That's true. It's fine. That's true. <laughs> um, but that kind of takes us into what we've kind of currently are reading or have recently finished. And I, one of my most recent finished books is Demon in the Wood, um, which is the the graphic the graphic novel of the Grisha verse. Um, and I know Liz, you've already read it, and yeah, I read it back in December. Yeah, because um, yeah, it's the it's the prequel to Shadow and Bone. It's the origin story mm-hmm. of Darkling. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what did you what did you think of it? I you know it's 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 short and it's a graphic novel. So there's not a lot of like you just don't have the ability to do a lot of content in a in a, yeah. in a story that has that structure. Uh, what was there? I I thought the the illustrations were amazing. I I, I loved the the colors and the struggle. Yeah, I just I loved it when it. But when you just separate the content from the visual aesthetic of it, I wasn't too impressed. Like I I just. I, I didn't get a lot of background on him. Like, I get, you know, it's all about basically yeah. Grisha don't have any place to be safe. I'm going to make some place that's going to be safe, and that's kind of what leads him to, to the little palace. But that's it. Like, I mean, that that's still quite a big kind of a big backstory of his for us to get because we didn't really know why he thought about making his own kind of his own place, um, his own town. Um, I think... To some extent, it did add a bit more depth to the Darkling. I do, I do get what you mean. It wasn't as much as it what I would have liked to have got. Yeah, I just and wish I that there was that just, is the issue with the graphic novel. More, more depth to him. More, yeah. I, I, I would have liked to see. You know, besides that one scene that really kind of, you know, has the like the death of the people. Like, you know, what the scene I'm talking about at the lake. Like that was the best part of the book because I think that's the that's the scene that really you know develops him and shows yeah. him. I Where just the character Sean really right, and I just wish that there was a little bit more um, 
that was like that like another like you know I think it would have been good to have it uh, have a longer graphic novel Mm -hmm. because it was quite short for a for a graphic novel yeah um but yeah I, I enjoyed it I definitely did enjoy it it was nice to get a little insight into um, yeah. into his story, but as you say, it would have been nice to have more, just a little bit more, mm-hmm. um, into his backstory. It was nice seeing his his mother or his. It wasn't actually his mother, was it? It was technically his. Is it his mother? It's that's how she was presented in the book as yeah, his mother. Yeah, so I think it's yeah. And I mean, and she does go to the little palace when he, you know, she's there. So yeah, it's prob- you know, probably is, you know, and it's, um, yeah, and it's like you know. I almost wish that they did another one, like a sequel to the prequel, because this one was really like, I'm going to create the little palace at the end of the book because Grisha needs someplace safe. Now I kind of want to see one where it is the creation of the little palace Mm -hmm. and how he goes about that aspect and how Grisha come and, and like... You know, because we see the Darkling like in Shadow Bones, Bones is like a bad guy, like he's a villain, and I still want to see a little bit more development in how how... he became that way. Yes, because like right now we're left with after Demon in the Wood being that he just wants to help Grisha. He wants to create the little palace so Grisha have some place to train and be safe and all of that. That's still kind of like a good guy kind of thing. and we had like a little insight into kind of he knew what his power was, but I don't think he truly understood the extent of his power at that point. Uh-huh. So it would yeah it'd be nice to kind of get him as even like a, a young adult. Yeah. Um, which maybe we will do. You never know. I know that they had. I don't think Lee, Lee Bardugo's got any immediate plans, but you never know. Yeah. Fingers crossed. So. Might get something in the future. I hope um, so. Yeah. So you just finished Assassin's Apprentice. I did, yeah, by Robin Hobb. Um, it's one that I've, I've been recommended quite a few times by m- many different people. Um, it's quite a big fantasy series. This is part of the Farseer's trilogy, um, this is number one. And it was really interesting. It was just about this um, boy who he is a he's a bastard, so he doesn't know his parents mm-hmm. because basically he was taken uh, by his stepfather as such to the kingdom, to the uh, to the, the palace when he's eight years old and basically the stepfather says, I can't afford to, to feed him anymore, I can't um, his mother can't afford to feed him anymore you can have him because he's actually one of the prince's sons, mm. biologically um, so it's all about his life in the palace being raised as a bastard, which is not really kind of is looked down upon because he's not a true heir um but it's all about his adventures and basically the king decides to to raise him and to to train him um i won't really go into too much detail but he, he is raised as as an assassin royal assassin um but it's re it was really interesting her writing style is just really smooth really easy to read um it's sort of one that you just get kind of lost in the world um, and I definitely recommend it. It was really good read, and I've got like the whole of that trilogy. And she's got about I think fifteen, twenty books in total. Um, I don't know if they're all in the same world, but they are mm. like different series. I think they're all the, I think they're all different series, but within the same universe. Okay, I've heard. 
but yeah i really really enjoyed um would definitely recommend it's not because it's different it's not like it's fey it's not fey and kind of witches and stuff it's, right it's more kind of straight fantasy as such okay with assassins and things but yeah interesting well that's yeah, cool was, was this one of your like 12 books in 12 months recommended by 12 <laughs> friends yeah, it is also that as well. So okay. I did my first one, finally. <laughs> my goal for 2023. Uh, 11 more to go. <laughs> yeah, I think I just finished my third one, like, last night. No way. Yeah. I, like, I, I have, I'm really excited about the books on my list. You're on it. So, like, they're books I yeah. want to read, so. Yeah, to be fair, um, I was still doing a few from last year. I, I think this year so far, I read two from last year's one. Uh, I don't think I'm going to finish last year's one because otherwise I'm never going to get to this year's one. <laughs> yeah, I haven't finished um, last year's. I think there was there's two or three books from last year I didn't read. Yeah, I think I think I got it down to two in the end. But to be fair, one of them is quite a big book, mm. um, which I do want to read at some point. But yeah, I'm not rushing right now. <laughs> I'm just I'm on a really big kind of fantasy kind of thing at the moment. I'm really into my fantasy books. Yeah, um, I am too. And it's like I I went through this period last like towards the end, like the second you know quarter of last year where i was reading a lot of you know rom-com kind of books mm. and and things that were just outside of my comfort genre yeah. and i just kind of got tired of it and so mm. when the year started i'm like i need to spend some quality time catching up <laughs> on some of my my fantasy reads that yeah. i really want to do and uh, and and it's been good so and even the non-fantasy books i've read like i've just really enjoyed so but no, definitely because I've got yeah I've still got so many like fantasy books and I've been trying to obviously like this year I've already completed the trilogy for the scythe um trilogy it's really good mm, such um, a good trilogy oh it was so good I need to read the new one um but yeah I haven't got that yet gleanings yep and I finished uh what else have I finished I haven't finished that many I need to um read the new Jennifer Armantrout well the second oldest newest one yeah um i haven't read like the the offshoot ones not the not the from from blood nash series yeah. but the the other ones um something in the ember a flame in the ember yeah i haven't read those either so yeah i have a <laughs> so, lot yeah, got those. a lot to read but yeah like, it's nice it's nice to have lots of different kind of choices mm-hmm. um but yeah i'm definitely on like a big like at the moment i've just started stolen air well stuck a few days ago i started stolen air um by holly black because that was one i really wanted to, to get to and i'm pretty much the last two days i've been storming through that <laughs> it's a great book it's a great like again like it's an epic good. journey um you know again it's like fantasies have yeah and fantasies have those those journey missions yeah, on them yeah. and that's what it is and it's it's really good but like what i told you is i was surprised because i always assumed that oak would be the main character mm. and he's not I thought it would be from when I because obviously I, I um, went to the event and I mean she didn't give away that much but I always thought from the start that Oak was going to be the main one because it's an Elfheim novel and obviously he was he is a prince of Elfheim so yeah and it's interesting that that Ren has had such a big part in in the book and I'm really enjoying it and she's really kind of coming into herself um, really liking liking her her arc. Yeah, her her character development, like from yeah. who she is at the beginning to who she is in the final pages, it's like a completely <laughs> different person. Like if you want someone 
to go through massive character change and character, you know, revelations. Like she just discovers who Mm -hmm. she is. She discovers uh, so much about her through, through some of the experiences she has along this journey. Uh, And then it kind of all comes to a head at the very end. Uh, It's, it's, it's a really cool character arc for her. Yeah, because I mean, in the beginning, she's a bit like, she's got some serious daddy issues. <laughs> yeah. Not only just that, she's but serious. she's she's an animal. She's like, she literally is presented a wild, as a yeah. wild animal. Like, exactly. And, she's very feral. Mm-hmm, she lives in a cave in the woods. Like, it's just, <laughs> yeah, she goes in like, dirty all the time because, mm-hmm. you know, she's like an animal. And then to go, so it's not only the, like, the, the, kind of mental and um, and emotional kind of development she goes through but she goes through a lot of physical um changes as well so and i like how they're switching timeline how they're going back into the past and we're seeing a bit of a bit of her childhood Mm -hmm. really enjoying that yeah because it it definitely helps develop and explain uh why she is the way she is at the beginning of the book as well as oak yeah And, and and it shows that they this isn't like a random encounter between the two yeah. of them. So no, definitely. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to uh, just a quick recap of our best sellers for right now. Um, guess what? Guess what? Guess what? That okay, was. Hey. I was gonna say that's that's where you say what. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Coho has not been on um, the number one spot for a couple weeks now. It's been mm. kind. Of, I know. she's been kind of jumping around like it's she's still don't worry she's she's still up there but it's it's number one slot's been kind of rotating recently so um you you saw this number one and you're like i'm not familiar with that it is by um the number the current number one is by cj box who is a an american an american author um but his new Mm -hmm. one Stormwatch, is the current number one and it's uh He's been around because this is book number 23 of his series. So, um, wow. Yeah. So, but that's our current. He's been around the book a few times. <laughs> yes, he has. <laughs> um, and obviously people still enjoy, enjoy his, his writing and, and this, um, I guess the, the character in the series is something like John Pickett, I believe. But don't worry. Coho has her majority monopoly on the top the top five she is at number two with her new release never never which she co-wrote with taryn fisher she's at number three with it starts with us and she's at number five with it ends with us so starts with us and it ends with us you know there you have it really surprises me that it starts with us is still up, up there because all i've been reading is not particularly good reviews i've been reading that people are saying it didn't need a, a prequel it didn't need to be to have another story attached to it it ends with us so i mean i guess it's people more they're curious because they've read it ends with us so now you have to read it starts with us <laughs> i i wonder if um you know there's there's something in those books that just kind of get you hooked and addicted to them and you can't say no to any other coho books i've been told that they are just kind of very easy to read mm. very kind of yeah very mm. sort of smooth reading um I was speaking to somebody the other day and they were saying, yeah, that 
they've read a few of hers and they're just very easy to read. I mean, one day we do need to get to it. We keep saying that. Well, we, we have Verity. We both, that's the one that we said <laughs> we, we were going to do. So we said this year, there's, there's, there's still like nine months left of the year. So there, there's, there's time. Exactly. We still have time. <laughs> we still have time. It's good to see that, it's good to see the lessons in chemistry is still in top five. Yeah. That's very well deserved. Oh, it's, yeah. it's such a good book. Um, how about the young adult? What, what's the number one for that? The number one for that. <laughs> Um, I, what now? I, know. I have it. I have it. I have it. You normally write it down. I know. I know. Why don't you go ahead and tell us what our some upcoming releases okay. are while I look this up? All right. We've got a, quite a few this month. So we've got The Sinister Booksellers of Bath by Garth Nix. And in the UK, that comes out 23rd of March and US on 21st. Uh, the Love Wager by Lynn Painter. In the US, that comes out on the 14th and the UK on the 30th of March. Uh, we've also got the mostly true story of Tana and Louise by Colleen Oakley. I'm so uh, excited that for comes... that one. Oh, so excited. I haven't heard about that one. Oh, look that one up. Um, that one's good. Okay. Um, that comes out on the 28th of March for both the US and the UK. Um, and this one I have actually recently heard heard of because Holly recently received book mail and has posted it on the Instagram. <laughs> and this is Made of Stars by Jenna Voris. And it comes out in the US and the UK on the 28th of March fantastic and those are some good books like there's some good books i mean there's good books every month that are coming out um i i, I added the garth next one i just love the ti- the book, book title it's mm. such an awesome title yeah <laughs> uh and then to wrap up this segment um the young adult number one it's also kind of been um going around and, and, and rotating we had the the new heartstopper book at the number one spot for a while but the current number one for young adult hardback um is the uh Im- immortality it's the book two of the love story <gasps> oh i really want to read that oh, yeah love story was such a good book i absolutely loved that one i haven't oh, read that one oh. yet. yep is, is, it gone, is it gone straight at number one it's yep it's new this week and it's number one it opened oh. it came onto the list at number one so yeah Dan- danish waltz's um, love story is such a good book it's like very gothic gothic romance slash kind of um, all about past and and the way they treated women in medical and things. It's really interesting. Very good book. So we'll we'll see how long it can it can cool. hang. So all right, exactly. yeah. So um, we have been joined by Jennifer and Stephanie. So we are going to take a short break. Remember, when we come back from our break, it will be our book club discussion of eleven twenty two sixty three by Stephen King. There will be ample amounts of spoilers so if you don't want the book spoiled um then yeah just you know stop right here (laughs) exactly um and then we will be right back for our book club one and welcome back we're so excited to be joined by jen and steph again hey ladies Good morning. Yay! Um, and to have our conversation regarding Stephen King's 112263, um, which I know is one of uh, Steph's favorite books. Of all time. <laughs> and, uh, and and you're a, a pusher of this book. like I am. I am a pusher of this book. I keep a copy of it in my office. 
so that if anybody even remotely mentions it, I can show up in their office and force it upon them, and then they're too polite to say no. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I keep a couple extra copies, you know, for people who need to read it. <laughs> so how many copies do you own right now? Three. Yeah. All right. Well, and I mean, and I can say that I was on the receiving end of 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 your your your, your oh, <laughs> yes i have um and and it literally is it's like she hides it and then she waits for that perfect moment in the conversation and and it, it's not easy because you know this is a brick of a book like it's 850 pages but yet she just whips it out like it's a feather and like throws it in your face and you're like here read it and you're just like okay <laughs> I mean, I wasn't scary about it. <laughs> no, you weren't. But it definitely was like, here you go. Have fun. Ooh, and it was a ride for sure. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So, um, so Jennifer, what was your what was your overall impression of the book? Oh, let's see. Um... <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, he's just one of the best writers ever, but um, I think I was the most impressed about how he talked about his other books or other places. Derry, mm. yeah. we Dairy. talked about oh. Derry, and I would stop and talk to my husband, and I'd say, oh, you know, he's in Derry again, and this, and he's mentioned this, and this is fascinating, but he, there is so much to talk about in this book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You yeah. have to pick an area. I always love that they do a little crossover in the Stephen King books. Yeah. Like you always get at least one little kind of nod to a different book. Yeah. Agreed. It's mm-hmm. so good. Well, this was my first. And it makes you fangirl all over again. <laughs> yeah. And this was my first Stephen King book that I've read. Um, <clears throat> I know on my own. And so um, I've seen all the movies. So for me, it was like, uh, it, it was a daunting undertaking, but I completely agree, uh, Jennifer. He is, he is a master storyteller. He is a, just a gifted author. Like just how he, he puts the words down on the page. It, it really was, uh, amazing. It, it truly, truly was. So that's kind of like my um, overall impression. Okay. Hang on a minute. We need to rewind for a second. Holly, what was the first, first Stephen King book that was in the <laughs> And a wage. <laughs> so, um, we kind of just talked about some, we're talking about some, some censorship stuff. Um, so <laughs> I have read, technically read the book It, which is the oh, book no. that was kind of referenced throughout wait this one. Wait for it, wait for it. Um, <laughs> you guys, you're going to think that I had like the weirdest childhood. Um, so, okay. We're going to be right about that. <laughs> yeah. How old were you? <laughs> I was eight, and, and um, my mom read it out loud to us, me and my sister, as like our as every our, single word, every oh single no. scene, no censorship. Oh my gosh, which that is, is the craziest book? Yeah, I, and honestly, Holly, when you told me that story, that's when I knew. Well, I can make her read this then. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an eight-year-old. The size of exactly. this will not traumatize her the way listening to it as an yeah. eight-year-old might have. But see, I now think that I think about it, I I have a really hard time getting scared by books. 
And like whenever I read a book that's a horror book, I'm never that's scared right. by it. Because remember, like with <laughs> when we read Stranger Tongues, I'm like, it was creepy, but I wasn't scared. Like yeah, it was yeah. whatever. Um, but it's probably because I was traumatized as an eight year old about this killer clown that's killing people. And now I'm just like, I'm like desensitized to horror. That bar was so high, so young. There was nothing you could do about exactly. that. Exactly. I mean, I think that's probably the worst Stephen King book you could have read as an eight-year-old. Yeah. So. I can't really yes. think of any that are kind of more disturbing. <laughs> but yeah. you know, I was—I don't remember it though. I, like, I don't really re- like. Yeah. So maybe I was. Did you pick up on the crossovers in eleven twenty-two then, since you were familiar with it? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. yeah. Yep. And well, I've I seen the movies. Yeah, the movie oh, okay. was good, but yeah. I told someone oh, I was going to read it, and they told me about about the female and all the guys and everything that happened in detail. And because I was like, "Oh," and they're like, "Yeah," he, they they left this out and this out, and I said, "Yeah, I I don't know if I'm going to read it." <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, that's only one scene. The, the book itself it is. is very good, yeah. but it's very oh, disturbing sure. yeah. and very kind of quite scary. Yeah, and also at least as long as this one. Oh, yeah. yeah, no, definitely it is. It is another break. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's funny because before we started recording, um, the conversation was about how this is almost like a um, a means to feel safe because it's a weapon because of how big it is. Like, just keep it on your bedside <laughs> table and, you know, you're good to go. <laughs> any any intruders come into your house, just like whack them around Literally the throw the book at them. <laughs> Exactly. Well, I see what you did there, Steph. I love that. That was a good one. (laughs) All right, so let's dive in. Um, So, Steph, this is one of your like all-time favorite, favorite, favorite books. Number one of all time. Okay, so you you get us started on a conversation topic. Okay. Um, one of the things that I find the most interesting about this book. Um, clearly it's a book about time travel. It's a book that asks a lot of questions about like, what would you do if you could change things? Right. But there's also so much about the book that isn't that like, I don't think anybody picks this up expecting it to be a love story. Mm -hmm. So like, I would be really interested to hear from you guys how you thought those two things meshed because there's clearly like the book is about the assassination of JFK, right? But it's also about so much more. So, you know, what were your thoughts on Jake's life versus Jake's mission and like how those two things meshed? Like, did you prefer one storyline over the other? Did you like how they came together? I think it was, I think it was woven in so well. It was so seamlessly woven in the two storylines because there was so much overlap. Um, and I mean, going back to the, what you said about the what ifs, there was so much that left you thinking, would I do that? Would I do this? And when it came to especially the relationship side, obviously the big question at the end is, do I go back and potentially save the love of my life's life? Or do I basically rectify what I've done to the, the world and bring it back to some sort of normality? And it's just like there's so many sort of mind-blowing moments and questions that make you really think back. And I think that's one of the biggest sort of takeaways I've taken from this book is that out of all the Stephen King books I've read, this is the one that's left me thinking the most. It's kind of – it's the most thought-provoking. I would agree with that completely. 
everything was folded in perfectly mm. um, about even when you meet the first person when you go through, when you cross over. And what is he about? What is he saying? And then there's these little things that Jake picks up on and says, you know, they're there for a reason, but I don't know why. And the girl's jumping rope or uh, whatever that thing, that mantra, that chanting that he kept hearing. And those little times where you're just stopping and going, wow, like, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. And why are they there? And you didn't have a single problem with how he laid it out. Like, I didn't have a single problem with how he told this very, very long story. I didn't say, oh, I'm going to have to just kind of skim over that thought of that part I didn't like or whatever. But all of it just folded in so well. And I would I would agree. Uh, I do mm-hmm. think that it hit, hit a little bit of a wall, at, like around the middle, the middle part, um, where it just kind of just began to feel like it was dragging a little bit. I don't know if it's because, you know, you're, you know, 450 pages in and you're just like, I still got 400 pages left to go. Um, I took a break. (laughs) But um, it's it's hard to compartmentalize the different components of the story um, because they they are really so – so interwoven with each other and every little moment has something you know to do and and what's interesting is because when you go through this little rabbit hole as they call it it takes you to 1958 well his assassination was until 63 mm-hmm. so you knew going in when he goes if he's going to successfully do this he has to live in this era for five years and so this is where that life piece comes into play like he didn't just go back you know, thwart the assassination and went back all in a day's work. Like he is aging, he's living uh, in in the past, and so I I kind of love the two stories, but I think I almost would have liked them more if they were separated um, because it's like the 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 Sadie love story. That's kind of where I felt some of the stuff kind of got dragged out a little bit. Uh, But I did love, as soon as it went back to making progress and doing his research and and the surveillance and all that stuff when it came to preparing for how he was going to deal with Lee Harvey Oswald, I was like, let's go. But what I was most fascinated with, with the love story side and his life side, was I loved how King painted this era like the research he Uh did and just like Mm. the social norms of the time and the music and the culture and just the community I you know you look at what we're dealing with and what we see every day when we go on to social media and turn on the news and then you go and take it back you know 60 years and you're just like oh what a simpler time it was uh, not that it was easy because, you know, the, we, we hear about the Cuban Missile Crisis and all those things. Yeah. And, uh, but it, it was it was masterfully done. I just there were aspects of the, the love story part that I wish weren't dragged out as much. I think the imagery was just so well drawn, especially mm. we were talking about this before we started recording, but with the food. Like, have you ever wanted a root beer so much in your life? Never. And I don't even <laughs> like root beer. Right? I've had a root beer. I don't want one. 
I've heard that universally from people that I've talked to who have read this, that it's like just the way he describes the full flavor of yeah. things, the way the air smells without the pollution, even though there's mm -hmm. clearly different standards for pollution back in the day that he talks about with the mills and things. The car uh, he does make it. Mm, the car, yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's so vivid, and I think he just does a stunning job with that. I think, like like Jen said about the whole, it's the little details. It's all the little details that really make this story such a, a wonderful read, because you've got little details as in the background setting and all of the kind of tiny little features, and then as you say, you've got the little details of characters who we've never met before, who will come into the story at some point but we don't know where they fit in just yet it's the, like the little nods mm -hmm. and I think it's in such a big book you need those little, little details to really build the story up and to create this this big wide world um, and for me I got to learn more about American history <laughs> because yeah. really, like yeah. I didn't really know much um, about kind of that era um, so that was really interesting, kind of finding out about that and about the Cuban Missile Crisis. Because obviously, I knew I heard of the Cuban Missile Crisis, but I didn't really know what it was. It was just, just one of these things that kind of go hand in hand with JFK's assassination. Um, and again, I didn't really know a huge amount about the assassination and and about Lee Harvey Oswald. So it's pretty interesting to kind of to get that information and to find out more. And it kind of made me look up things afterwards. Um, and look into it a bit further. And I would agree, like, you know, um, in American history classes, like, you know, it, it's it's weird because so much is focused on, like, long ago U.S. history, and, you know, you talk about the Revolutionary War and uh, the Civil War and World War Two, and then once you get to World War Two, you're kind of out of time because you only have, like, you know what is it nine months of school <laughs> and you're out of time and so some of that more modern day history you don't get a lot of depth into and i will say mm -hmm. there was a lot that i did not know about lee harvey oswald's life like i didn't know half of that stuff um which i thought was really interesting but when it comes to like the detail the details you're talking about like there were certain things that you could have removed from the book and it wouldn't have really changed anything but adding them added a different layer like the yellow card man and yeah so what are your and, and the yellow yeah. card man and then the new yellow card man yeah 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 so what are your thoughts about his that character's role and like because you learn more about that character at the at the end of the book and what his purpose mm -hmm. is but you think about everything from the beginning of the book to the end of the book and and what are your thoughts on on that character's role well for me when i first saw him he scared me to death and i was like i don't know what's going to happen here and you better do it right and you might make it through and then at the end when you find out why he's there and or the new one you're horrified you're <laughs> horrified that this person has been literally tortured mm -hmm. because of this and he has to also take that in and so that was the great horror writing that Stephen King does so he took that oh, yeah. one thought I had and then made it into this mind-blowing thing that you can't even get like is there another hole well he said yeah there were other places and what was this doing and who were these people like it, it offered all mm -hmm. these questions and then they're they're being destroyed because of him going back and forth uh -huh. you know just yeah. trying to take that in yeah 
I think that that was a really interesting, the whole book is about consequences, right? Yeah, yeah. But you, so you have this like overarching concept of what changes when I do these things. And I thought that the yellow card man is a really interesting way to like focus that and really bring it home and make it personal. But it's not about, oh, if you do this, then there's the butterfly effect. And in 10 years, we'll have a completely different country. It's you keep it's doing media. this and this is how you've like affected this one person. Yeah. yeah, so it was interesting to have the two different viewpoints of the same, you know, damage, for lack we, of a better word. We only spent a minute with him going back, but mm -hmm. Stephen King did such a good job representing how destructive it was and, like, the way their faces looked, what they were doing, how they were trying yeah. to survive, and he only wrote a few pages about that. Mm-hmm. You know, the book isn't even about that. <laughs> but he was like, it. he holds so much in that little bit of time, which I thought was and as, awesome. and as you say, the yellow card man was kind of the the horror aspect that we've come to, to know and love about Stephen King. So it was the whole yeah. shock and horror, um, shock and horror factor when we found him with his, like, throat slit open. Uh -huh. um, that was, like, the, the main horror kind of um, aspect of it. And I loved how he, yeah, he basically tied together the two worlds and such because obviously the old man at the beginning he knew about the green the yellow card man and it was kind of like tying the two worlds together mm -hmm. i would totally agree and it's just it's i weird. think it's interesting that you say that liz because i have never i mean i've read a ton of stephen king i love stephen <laughs> king i've never thought of this as a horror book but that's a really good point that brings that horror aspect into it. You didn't in a think way. it was a horror book? Like, <laughs> I, I, oh, I've never thought of it that way. I didn't either. I, did. I mean, to be well, fair, that's the only horror bit I thought. I thought that's the horror kind of part that I thought. Well, that and Sadie, whatever happens to her and how out of control oh, that was—that's yeah, that, yeah. death. That there was a lot of horror in this. That not having any control over how that was going to go down, um, and you know, in Derry where he finished off that other guy I was scared to death and you're standing there and he had to make a decision so he already knew how it was going to go down the first time so I'm already scared mm. when he goes in there with the gun uh -huh. and those kids are there it's, it, the whole thing was horrifying to me and I know Stephen King so well so having known that and how well he does stuff is probably what made me more fearful. I'm like, okay, this is really going to go off the rails right here. Yeah. And you also have I, the I, element I of when, because, um, you know, Sadie's attack, you have this, the yeah. situation and, like, the two situations, because he repeated it in Derry, and then mm -hmm. you have the yellow card man, and you also have the... I mean, the predict... Well, we kind of knew what was going to happen with Lee Harvey Oswald, but still, there was, like some some violence and stuff we weren't expecting but also when he was when he was attacked when the right. oh my god the, oh, the, those, that was brutal yeah the the gambling guys mm. came and like completely destroyed him mm. um then the detail that he pulled oh, that in and how the recovery, long yeah. the recovery mm -hmm. like i he did such a good job with that and I think that you've spoken to a lot of medical professionals for that because that was very in-depth recovery description. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, that that does, you know, he did it so well because he was able to pull on his horror, his horror experience and how yeah. he yeah. writes more terrifying oh, yeah. scenes. And I think that had that those had any of those scenes been written by someone else, it wouldn't come across across as powerfully as yeah. it did by by his hand. 
Yeah, and having read his other that. stuff prepares you to sit back and go, okay, here we go. <laughs> you know, that's how I felt. Like, here we go, because I know how he can yeah. write. And how did everybody feel about the girls jump roping? Like, they made me nervous every time they that showed up. That was creepy. Yeah, that right? was really creepy. Like the way? twins from The Shining yes! or something. Exactly. I it really like, unnerved what? me. And then one of them was real <laughs> sassy, and I'm like, what is she going to do, or what is she going to yeah. say? Yeah. And they were, like, you know, they were just always there at, like, just yeah. the most, like, inopportune moments. And it's just like. It was creepy. Like, yeah, why are you here? What are you doing? Yeah, I would sit up and go, okay, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there were, there were so many of those little tiny moments where it's just yeah. like, he really did weave so many different genres together in this. And, oh, it, yeah. and I agree, like, I never really looked at it as horror. Um, because mm. again, I read it as an eight year old, so nothing scares me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> But I see the horror impact of his his ability to yeah. create those those high emotion scenes played out so well in the high emotion scenes in this book. Mm. And you I have agree. to think so. How many people either saw it or read it, and then he was writing this one later, correct? Mm-hmm. That he knew that we would all be going in the minute he mentioned dairy. It was going to change everything about how we saw everything from that point for me. He spent mm-hmm. a lot of time there. Mm-hmm. And I was like, is the clown going to come out somewhere? <laughs> are we going to find out who this thing Like, are we going to, like, I was really excited about that part. And I thought this changes yeah. everything because now we're in dairy and we know what happens in dairy. You know, like that made it really scary for me because I know Stephen King. Does that make it sense? was, fasc- yeah, it was pretty fascinating. I mean, especially once we found out that it was the year, the summer after Pennywise had visited um, when the when the kids were children, so it's almost like we we got like a little mini novella in between mm-hmm. part one and part mm-hmm. two of it, mm-hmm. because we got to see obviously um, of the two characters Bev and Mike Richie well, Richie that's it yeah yeah Bev and Richie we got to see them kind of in between the two books. Oh, that's just, I love that excellent part. writing. I loved yeah, it. It was so good. Mm-hmm. And there are other places in the Stephen King universe that refer back to this book that were written before this book was. Wow. No. Yeah, that's how well he writes. He's already thinking about his next Mm -hmm. books and his other books, and he's weaving, which is terrifying and talent. So much talent. It's my favorite thing about his universe. When you come across those little, like, oh, this matches this, whether it's a character or a word or a reference... Yeah, we're Definitely. back yeah. here at this thing that happened that blew my mind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just the overall thought that goes into something like that when you've been writing books for 50 years. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. How do you even... So much go. It's crazy. Um, so my next my next question or my next thought was really about... And, you, and um, it's already kind of been mentioned, but that butterfly effect and that idea... And that kind of connects with the idea that over and over and over and over and over over again it's probably the most repeated idea in this book is that the history history does not want to be changed like the past is going to fight back yeah. it's it's it does not want to change so you look at some of the the things that occurred and um how does how does that concept how did you guys perceive that idea that the past didn't want to be changed and and the things that happened and how jake kind of responded and reacted and just in general your thoughts on this idea of the butterfly effect 
I mean, I completely believe in the butterfly effect because we've seen it before. It's kind of a, a proven, a proven fact. And I really liked how, um, how, as you say, the past kind of fought back and the past was so determined because time travel is an unnatural thing. It's something mm-hmm. that, according to the past, shouldn't really be able to happen. So the fact that the past would be fighting back and would be trying everything it could to stop anything from happening that could counteract and could cause quite severe, quite awful outcomes. I really liked that. I thought that was very clever. Um, and I mean, in a way, isn't it also kind of Jake, maybe you should have thought a bit more about, well, it's trying this hard to stop me from doing this. Is it really a good idea for me to do this? <laughs> like the warnings because, meant something, right? Not exactly. Just, it's not just the, the past fighting back. It's the past going like, are you sure? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And also, yeah, and was him, it... him getting so violently sick, like that would have stopped me right there. I'd be like, <laughs> okay, I'm done. I can't yeah. like... Uh, it's coming out both ends or whatever and then you know, like he's with her yeah. now and yeah. like he has to worry about her but he has to have her because he was beat so badly and then like you're just trying to get there and you don't know if a house is going to fall on top of mm-hmm. you like I would have just been like we got to be you know that part he did a really good job again I was horrified at all the what ifs and how is time going to try to stop me yeah, and, and it was crazy because like when he like after he's brutally attacked and he like can barely walk and he's the time like it is the eleventh hour and he has got to get there to stop this and he's still man nothing is good to, going to deter him from from saving JFK and you know and everything that he basically has tried to set up to do to protect Sadie to keep her out of it to he he has to like adapt. And what was fascinating was he was ready and it kind of, by that point, realized the past was going to fight him. So he had little safe holes kind of created and safety nets created for when the past fought back and what he could do. It was just like that, that whole scene from the time, like when it, when it's finally November 22nd, those pages flew for me. Like that was yeah, me too. such oh, yeah. a great, Definitely. great kind of culmination of everybody fighting for what they wanted. He was fighting to save JFK. The past was fighting to not be changed. And it was like the past almost became its own, its own entity. And it like, it was just, it was really cool how at that point it came together. Exactly. I mean, as soon as the, the calendar hit that date, the pace just kicked it up a notch. And it just got so much faster. Everything just happened, um, which was really interesting. So obviously, it was a race against time. But what I was thinking is the whole past fighting back. I mean, how much of um, control does the yellow ticket, the the yellow card man, mm. have? Could it be that they had a part in trying to prevent this because they knew what would happen? They knew the more you mess of time, the worse things get. That's really interesting. That's a great point, too. And it seems like they had <laughs> absolutely no power over it. That's I think the I got. one thing they might have had power over, though, is protecting their locations. Okay. Right? Because especially at the end when he comes yeah. back and everything is so horrific, but the gate's still there. Like, you would think in in logical time travel <laughs> that <laughs> enough things would have changed that the diner wouldn't be there when he went to go back, right? That, yeah. that, mm-hmm. no, exactly. that things that that would have to change. And so maybe like 
yellow card man not just is a kind of a warning, but is also like has to keep that piece together and yeah, and then any other efforts they have are trying to keep themselves and the world from being destroyed. Mm-hmm. So basically they are, they're like gatekeepers of their particular time loop or mm-hmm. time yeah. travel zone thing. <laughs> yeah. So now that's one more thing I have to think about now. We're going to get down here because I'm going to go, okay, there were other places. Where were they? Where were they mm-hmm. there? There are other worlds than these. Yeah. Yeah. And what was interesting was because, you know, Jake went back and he he did not do as many back and forth as Al did, like the, you know, the diner owner. But you think about then the impact, because we learn about the yellow card man and what his role is and these every single time that history is reset with one of these visits, it almost creates like a different a different line. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and it kind of goes back to the torture then, the horror aspect of these poor yellow card men, because Al went back all the time. And yeah. like, how many times did he go back? And every time he went back, it's impacting the stability of the, the, the mental stability of that yellow card man to a point where, Oh my God, stop using this rabbit hole, you people. And now it gets to a point where he ends up, you know, slitting his throat because he just can't take how much the pass is being splintered with each visit. And all the wonder what the yellow card man was like on Al's first visit. Mm. Yeah. Uh But how they made a point about the food too, that he kept going and everybody was eating that. Like that kind of blew my mind a little bit too when I, but I mean, I, I guess I really couldn't even take it in. It just didn't sound good to me at all. <laughs> Getting all that meat, like, and it was crossing over. And because the one of the guys say that had an impact on it too. You couldn't keep doing that. Yeah. Right. Because it it was going back through. Because yeah, you'd be eating 1950s meat in yeah. 2000. Like I spent a lot of time. I spent a lot of time there seeing what that was going to do to the environment or breaking down whatever. Mm-hmm. And I always thought Al was sick. Or I wanted to say he was sick because of all the travel too, but they never said anything about that. But like I thought that didn't help him. Yeah. Like was that gonna? Yeah. yeah. Cause you do. Like, what kind of toll does that take on on your body? Like on consistently going back to these different generations. Yeah. I mean, it didn't help or help that like. In 1958 to 1963, people were smoking like chimneys. And, yeah. you know, and because Katie, that, yeah. for sure, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> because that was such a, it became such a huge yeah. part of the book that, you know, like there was just smoke everywhere. Yeah. Definitely. And now you can't have a cigarette place. in a movie or anything. I, know. And I'm like, yeah. I could smell the smoke off of her. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> that girl smoked and smoked and smoked, and she was a school teacher. I know. <laughs> Those were back in the days where they had the smoking, the smoking areas that you could smoke on campus. Yeah. So, because um, if a teacher's caught smoking now, they're going to get what written up, maybe, mm-hmm. or lose their job or whatever. They're smoking like that. I mean, yeah. I mean, so if they want it, like, because I work at a high school, and so like, if if somebody wants to like, and now most people don't smoke, they have like their little their nicotine vapes or whatever. Yeah. Um, they and they can't do it anywhere on campus, so they can if they if they need to smoke or whatever, they have to on their like lunch break, they have to get in their car and they have to leave campus and then you know come back. But 
Um, yeah, it's just like, oh, it's so gross. So, um, all right. So, should we uh, then ask the 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 question we knew we were eventually going to ask about um, Lee Harvey Oswald and kind of like we we see a lot of his progression towards leading up to his determination to assassinate JFK and there's there's all the you know conspiracy theories on whether he worked alone or whether he worked with someone here we see pretty much that it's presented that that he kind of worked worked alone um so what are your guys's thoughts on this conspiracy theory and JFK's assassination. I felt exactly how Stephen King did. I thought he worked alone. I thought there was a possibility there that I would maybe try to do research with um, some of the other foreigners that were there, but I totally thought he was alone. That's what I've thought since I was young. Mm -hmm. My thoughts on this are complicated. (laughs) What? Who would have thought? Surprisingly, um, because it is, and I think for me, the reason it's it's hard to make a determination is that factor we talked about earlier, that it is so new in U.S. history, in the grand scheme of things, mm-hmm. that we don't have all the information, and mm-hmm. there's a lot that's still classified, there's a lot that hasn't been released. Um, I have an entire bookshelf in my office dedicated to books on the assassination or the Kennedy administration in general. I'm a giant nerd. Uh, (laughs) But um, and some are are dedicated to Oswald, but um, I just don't sometimes I feel like I don't think he worked alone because I don't want to give him that much credit. Mm. You know, like there and he talks a little bit in the book about his interactions with other people that may or may not have influenced him, whether that's military mm. or, or whatever. But, um, yeah, I think the, the part of me that always wants to learn more specifically about the cold war and, and the Kennedys, um, uh, might even be a little disappointed if he did work alone, like a, yeah. a conspiracy theory yeah. would almost feel more satisfying because it was, such a huge turning point and it does have this like shroud of what if behind it in American culture clearly in literature um I kind of I just don't think I want to give the guy that much credit for it just being one person but that's also how history turns right like mm-hmm. we've seen that before with other impactful yeah. assassinations throughout the world so I would I would like to think in a weird way um, that there was more behind it and I very much look forward to learning more as more things are declassified over the years. Uh, yeah, I just can't fully give him the credit on his own yet. Yeah, I felt like it was so easy to have a gun. Um, he Kennedy was hated like Lincoln was. Uh-huh. And so even with Lincoln's assassination, he was just in the right place at the right time to pull it off. And that's how I feel like this happened, because... He was very political and happened to live out of the country for a while. And then he was keeping up with the news. And then all of a sudden, in real life, he has guns. And he happens to be working in a place where this is going to go by. And he's already said to himself, I'm that crazy that I'm going to walk in here and just shoot him that easily. So I think it just fell into his lap 
just like Lincoln's assassination, mm-hmm. where yeah. he was shot um, because he knew he could get in there and do it because he was crazy and he was working alone. That's how I kind of look at it. I'm kind of between both of you. Like, I think the day Kennedy was assassinated, I think Lee Harvey Oswald was there by himself um, and did it. Yes. However, I do think that there are um, – he is not a smart enough man to have done it on his own. Like, I think there was a lot of behind-the-scenes influence with – and I think some of that came with the characters that we saw in the book as, yeah. you know, um, Jake is kind of doing all his surveillance. So yeah. I really do think that it's almost like Lee Harvey Oswald was more of like a pawn in a in a bigger in a bigger picture. Um, so, but in in the moment, I think that he did act alone. However, my twist on this is I think that there were other people there that day ready to do the exact same thing. Lee Harvey Oswald did. I just think that because he worked at that book depository and had the the ability to be where he was, he yeah. was the one who had the best shot at the the time that he had it, and he, so he's the one who was able to do it. But I do think because there were so many different people and groups who did not like JFK, it was a very um, turmoil-filled time period with the Cuban Missile Crisis and everything that was going on, that I think there were other people that could have been there acting either on their own or with other influences. But I just think, like like Jen said, I just think that it kind of fell on his lap and he was just kind of like, I don't know if you want to use lucky, but the lucky one to be able to be the one to follow through with it mm-hmm. and not allow any of the other potential assassins to, to do it. But... Yeah, because he was not alone. Idea. Most people did not want him to be president. So he mm-hmm. was, a lot of people hated him. Like you said, I think somebody else would have tried to kill him. They killed his brother, Robert. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was just a matter of time. Mm-hmm. But there was rumors that he was hired by the mob, wasn't there? That he was actually, mm-hmm. he was born in as, yeah, as a mob yeah. member, which I really like. See, I like the I like the, the theory that it was a government hit. Mm-hmm. And and you gotta think the writer and reader in me just makes it it's kind of juicy that it wasn't actually just one one man it was the government didn't want him anymore they didn't want him in in power and I could easily see that that being one of like the groups that were there because when you think about it you know there he's gonna have the 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 government protection and um, the armed um, whatever I you know. I mean, nowadays a lot of conflict in his administration. Like that's a really interesting angle to look at it. Totally. Yeah. Um, and we kind of hinted at this, but when all is said and done and he is successful in his mission and he goes back to 2011 to the world now with JFK, not having been assassinated, this was this is an area that received the most like criticism in the entire book. Yeah. Like when you look at reviews and you look at like perceptions of the book, this is the most negatively received part of this book was what the world is. What are your thoughts on that? I hear from Steph first because Steph is such a, a like a Kennedy fanatic. Do you think that that America could have turned into that kind of? It was basically turned into Nazis, wasn't it? Basically into kind of, it was very fascist um, area. 
Um, oh, I have so many thoughts. <laughs> I am one of those. I do not like that portion of the book. I feel like when he comes back and it is this utter wasteland of just, <clears throat> it's just horrific. Yeah. And to me, from a book perspective, it felt like too much of a switch. Mm. Like, yes, there's going to be a lot of impact, but you're basically coming back to the world on fire, right? Like, yeah, exactly. I just have yeah. these images of like literal orange skies and, <laughs> and oh, yeah, roving gangs of criminals. Yeah. And that just, that felt like a stone too far, you know? So I, I just couldn't get behind that as much as the only part in the book I don't absolutely love. Mm. From a political perspective, I do think that if JFK had lived, things would be very different. Um, and they talk, Al talks about it a little bit, like how that timeline could have fallen. That if if he didn't get assassinated, then maybe we don't go as hard into Vietnam. Certainly, certainly is the wrong word when you're talking about an alt reality. <laughs> um, would would you have had the assassinations of Martin Luther King Jr. and of Bobby Kennedy? Um, I don't necessarily think so, unless you're talking about government conspiracy. So if you're talking about Lee Harvey Oswald acting alone and him not succeeding and Kennedy still being president, yes, I think we would have had a very different 60s and therefore a very different turn for the country. But if it really was a bigger thing that this was their goal regardless then I don't know because I think they would have kept going I think it could have actually made it worse I think you could have seen more um, like more attempts or even more brazen attempts that would have created even more divide politically mm -hmm. than they already had um, and then that would have made for a very different 60s than we see too so I'm saying that Kennedy was quite racist he didn't really there's, believe. There's definitely some like, there's some talk on that, um, but Bobby Kennedy did a lot of work in the '60s on on race relations, and it's really it's really hard to know even how the work that Bobby Kennedy did in the '60s was affected by the death of his brother, mm -hmm. right? Because how would that have how would that have gone? So I could talk about this all day. That's not what this <laughs> podcast is about. I do I agree that it was too much for like the environment to be completely broke down. And it was yeah. like, like you said, there was fires and orange skies. Like that was a big leap. If it had been further on, like past where we are today, I could have um, accepted that a little better. But I did. I said, wow, like just because of that, we we're like destroying the earth right now. Yeah, that think, seems yeah. too far. Yeah. I do think it was a little bit too far, but um, at the same time, I can kind of see both sides. It kind of feels like when we went back, it was the culmination of the, the butterfly effect. So with obviously with him being not having been killed, but also almost like the breakdown of time itself. So because of the fact that this major event had been prevented in the past, it's yeah. almost like it's the the culmination of the two things of natural events of what would happen have had he survived as well as the breakdown of this whole 
Oh, I see. You're, so you're saying it didn't have to do with Kennedy. It had to do with how they were messing with the environment and the world crossing back and forth. I think, yeah, I think it was yeah, kind of a yeah, mixture of both sense. of them. Mm. Yeah. It that kind of feels make like. More sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I agree. I, I did not like it. Like, I, like, it's, it's almost like when he returns, it's like a completely different book. It, it's just like, <laughs> it, it, it did not. It's jarring. Yes. It's just like, whoa, wait a second. Now, I did think it was interesting because he, uh, Harry was there. Um, and so, because again, mm. he had stopped Harry from, you know, being hurt in dairy. So I thought that was kind of an interesting little dynamic to see Harry in that world. But yeah, cause you also have to keep in mind that almost 50 years had gone by from the time that the assassinated assassination was thwarted mm-hmm. to 2011. And so, uh, it, you know, in my mind, I'm like, really, this, this catastrophic, like, <laughs> like, world blow up, world on fire, all because JFK wasn't assassinated. Like, it was, it was a little yeah, too no. far fetched. And so, so I, you know, I kind of had some of the same thoughts Liz did that it's, it's more than just that. It is the fact that we, mm. we, manipulated time we did things that we should not have ever in the grand scheme of time space continuum been able to do and there's consequences for everything it's that butterfly effect it's uh, it's like a marvel movie yes it's like (laughs) the multiverse (laughs) Uh, but they didn't fix it they made it worse it just broke down it was like that one in spider-man where the where the whole Sort of New York just breaks down because they mess with time yeah. too much. Yeah, it just. I, Stephen I, King I loves a good like multiverse. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> I mean his whole isn't his whole like his whole thing's a multiverse, isn't it? <laughs> Every single book. <laughs> I yeah. also that um, that kind of scene that area, it kind of added yet another genre into what is a crazy amount of genres in the book because it was very post-apocalyptic. Mm-hmm. Very so much. you've got obviously the post-apocalypse. You've got the thriller. You've got the sci-fi with the t- time travel. You've got the romance. You've got the horror aspect. So it was just—it's not sort of a book you can just give a label to. There are so many different mm-hmm. genres that cross over that it would be impossible to to label it. But again, that comes back to his that. his masterful. <laughs> storytelling ability because not everybody would be able to to create such a work like this um yeah so uh yeah so so i have a question Mm -hmm. for everybody um because i think you do talk about the fact that they're everything is woven so well together you know we've talked about just how seamlessly all the different genres come together and the storylines for me there were a couple like moments in the story that weren't necessarily twists but like you thought you knew something and then you were like oh my gosh that's what that meant so like for me one of those things was when he's at the Dunnings on Halloween and you learn that a hammer isn't a hammer Mm. it's a sledgehammer right and that's just a whole like gut check like were there other moments like that in the story for you guys or did you feel the same way in that moment that he like would have these reveals of oh this is a huge specific when, thing that has stuck in your mind yeah for me it was i think it was sadie's name when they said it was very similar 
um, to, yeah, to Harry's family and that it was like really close together and all to do with the fact that he stopped that potentially. Mm-hmm. That was like a big kind of amazing moment, like shock moment. Yeah. I agree it's with that. just one of those amazing layers that he puts in there, those little pieces mm-hmm. that you go, oh, mm-hmm. wow. Like now you have me thinking about one more thing. Yeah. <laughs> that had, you know, more brought more meaning and direction to where you're leading me. Yeah. It's mind blowing. I agree. And like, you know, the same thing. I had the same reaction with the names and I'm just like, he's like, Oh, if you just change a letter, it's like, Oh my gracious. Uh, <laughs> but it was also like the hammer thing. Yeah. It was, it was mm. just like, you know, because you're going into it with your perception of what you think it is. And then it's, it's different. Um, and I don't know necessarily that this is the same way, but the one thing that kind of like always like had me was, was the whole J law stuff. And it's just like, you know, yes, Jim law or Jim law. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That, that's the piece that I was like, what is going on? Like, it just kind of creates me so out. Way. Like, it yeah. Did. So, yeah. yeah, no, that was really strange. All right. Yeah, anytime he thought he heard it, I was like, okay, that scared me. Yeah. Right? Um, again, that horror aspect of, of King kind of coming out a little bit and making his little subtle, subtle turns. Um, mm. All right. So my last question as we begin to, to wrap up our <laughs> pushing an hour-long conversation on this book. <laughs> Is it's 800 pages? I know, um, but I really, really am curious about your guys's thought on the final pages, like how the book actually ended. So we talked a little bit about when he goes back and sees this post-apocalyptic world, but that's not the conclusion of the book. So, what are your final thoughts on the final pages of this book? I think it was quite quite beautiful uh, how he went and he sought out an 80-year-old Sadie. I thought that was really nice kind of... But at the same time, not not necessarily the final pages, but he he was absolutely head over heels in love with her. I don't know if I could have stayed away. Like, I don't know if I could have not gone back and just not trying my best not to change too much mm-hmm. so that the future isn't too messed up. I don't think I could just, like, come back to present day and then, like, quickly pop in and go back out without going to her. Because that kind of broke me. That was just like... It broke me. I was devastated. I was... I am a HEA, happily ever after reader. I, I That is mostly what I read. <laughs> I want to feel good when I'm not working and I just want it to be like Disneyland and I want everybody to be wonderful. Steven King is never that though. I I was fortunate there was romance at all, which I was super happy about. And I loved their story. I loved it. And I cried when they were dancing. Like Mm -hmm. I, because it was all he could give her. Like I get emotional right now just thinking about it (laughs) because it was such a hard decision for him. Mm -hmm. And it, it, they were never together really. And Mm -hmm. it it just made me so sad. Oh, and when she got shot as well, that just, I I sobbed. I was, yeah, I got Terry at that. And when half of her mouth was destroyed, Oh, and the surgeries and how it was, you know, 
and how much he just stood by her and you know mm-hmm. she just did not have a good life and like it was beautiful mm-hmm. exactly i mean she he stood by her through so much and likewise with sadie and to be able to just walk away i mean yeah i couldn't physically do that <laughs> it was so good I don't... Though. she he do you know he did he did do the right he did the right thing for the world mm-hmm. because he made sure that the the yellow card men of the world um mm-hmm. weren't turned into alcoholics to end up killing themselves um and also he made sure that the future was not quite as bleak as the one that we were going to get mm-hmm. i mean who he didn't know we were getting gonna get covid and such so he <laughs> 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 doesn't quite know that but he, he managed to make it a bit better than we would have got it um so in that way obviously he he did the best for the world but for himself i just felt so sorry that he couldn't get the, the ending that he deserved i know i, I was so sad yeah. i'm going to share it my is... thoughts hang on i want Steph, no. i want you to go last <laughs> <Deal. laughs> you're going to finish yourself Steph. yeah <laughs> Um, I, I too was, was truly devastated and in in just a way that he had to make that sacrifice, that he chose Mm -hmm. the sacrifice, the one for the good of the many. And, and and that's what he did. Like he comes back to this post, you know, apocalyptic world and he's like, there's no way in hell I'm doing this. And knowing that going back to the rabbit hole is going to reset everything and he would have to do it all over again. And another five years, he'd be another five years older because he's aging. So if he went back to Jody, Texas and waited for, for Sadie, he'd be five additional years older. He was already a little older than her and there was doubt there on what would happen. Um, but he, he made that sacrifice. He's like, I can't be in the past because any little thing, any little, like the, the butterfly effect, any little twig I step on and break, who knows what world I'm going to go back to. And so being able to go back to reset everything with that trip back down the rabbit hole just to go back to the world he left um, probably I couldn't imagine the pain that he was in to do that but oh my god to then go and find her and have that moment with her but not only that but the idea that she's like do I know you? Like, that there's an underlying connection that even though the past that he went back and did is not the past because it was reset, it's those timelines. Like, you still created that split in time that still has that impact that it's almost like a shadow, like a little a little something, a little hint, a little thing that's sitting off to your shoulder that you can mm-hmm. kind of feel but you can't grasp because that split timeline's there. And so the fact that mm-hmm. they had that moment and he knew everything and she knew just this fleeting yeah. like what feels like a waking up from a dream almost and you can't grasp it but yet he held it together because of of his love for her like i i did i i had tears in my eyes i was just like oh my god this ending like <laughs> it, so it, it totally made up for when he came back to the post-apocalyptic world and i'm like what the hell <laughs> it totally made up for that yeah all right steph bring us home Let's talk about it. Um, so Jake and Sadie are my 
favorite book couple of all time. Mm. And until recently, I wasn't a romance reader at all. So it says something that my top two book couples of all time are both from Stephen King books. But (laughs) also, I think he writes in such a genuine way because the sacrifice is so real and it doesn't feel contrived or like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not you're not rolling your eyes at it. Like that is a genuine moment at the end. And just like you guys, like it broke me. Like it's just so heartbreaking, but also so happy at the same time, you know, to have them have at least that one moment. It's very bittersweet. Mm -hmm. And he writes sacrifice so well. And so it's, I, I think that that is, they have, they have an incredible story when they're together. He absolutely stands by her. She stands by him. Like their partnership is fantastic, but it is that ultimate like sacrifice and like, mm. you know, I, this is a true love, but I still can't do it that I think he just does so well that makes you really bond with those couples and just makes you like so happy, sad for them, you know, like, yeah. And I love that she has that little echo of him at the end. And it's, I think, similar to um, when he when he goes back to the Dunnings the first time and he calls the little sister on the phone, you know, and she, like, she knows it's him, even though she has no reason to think that. Like, yeah. there's just those little echoes of, like, what's happened before kind of keeps coming back a little bit. People are just have a heightened sense of it. And I think that that's like a really great kind of representation of like soulmates or true love or like even if they didn't get to spend their lives together, there's still that part that she's like, you know, my heart recognizes your heart. Like they still won. There is something won. there. Through space and time. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to yeah, cry all crazy. over again. I, know, I was almost crying. I thought, oh, the girls are going to see me crying. I just think he, I was devastated. he writes characters so well and then yeah. the sacrifice of love so well that mm. that's not something you expect to talk about from the world's most prolific horror author, but yeah. that's where we're at. You know, he is just so stunning in that regard. I mean, let's face it, most endings on Stephen King you don't get satisfaction (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's usually like a not the ending you really want but Mm. it's still an ending nonetheless um (laughs) so he doesn't i want to know and in um, a way it is satisfying right yeah 100 percent. yeah i mean it's not the one you want but it is it's still yeah it 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 ties everything up nicely and it makes sense but i think it's the only ending that could be I think yeah. it, it is the yeah. it is the only ending that yeah. could have happened. It's the only choice. And I think that's why it's a little bit more painful because it's not the yeah. ending you want, but you know it's it's the only ending we can have. Definitely. And Steph, I wanna know, so does this ending still break you, like on the rereads? Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Not really. I have not finished my reread that I was doing. <laughs> 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 And I'm already like, my heart's a little bit like, oh, when we get to that part, like, I don't know what I'm going to do, guys. Like, it will be an ugly cry for sure. Yeah. Well, it's on Hulu, 
You know, I don't know yeah. if anybody yes. knows that. And I won't watch I, it just because of that. Ah! I don't watch I it. I know it's a question. Has I haven't anyone seen watched it. the show? I'm going to cry. I know I'm going to cry. And I'm we like, don't get Hulu in the UK. It's like oh. um, it's like Titanic. I'm like, I can't. Oh, watch my God. <laughs> I think it might be on, on Prime. I have, I think... And I really want to see what they did with it because it won't be as good. But yeah. I'm like, oh. But Steph has watched it. Steph has thoughts. No. I think about it all the time. I highly recommend watching the show. Um, my, I have a book club through my work that we also read this um, <laughs> at my suggestion. And they didn't know how <laughs> no. Hey, no. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Stephanie, everything you say is such a surprise today. <laughs> um, but as a book club, we watched the show after we read the book. Mm-hmm. And it was a really fun experience to just see everybody's thoughts on it. There are parts of it that are very different. Yeah. Like, very different. Oh, okay. The final episode is almost word for word. <gasps> oh, no. no. Oh, no. <sighs> that is both good oh. and bad, right? Yeah. Um, but I, just, I think it's highly worthwhile. Like, especially if you go into it knowing, like, okay. that they're going to do things differently. But isn't that yeah. the point of time travel? Like, maybe things yeah. always going to be just a little yeah. different anyway. Mm-hmm. Um. So I'm sad, Liz, that you don't get Hulu in the UK because... I think it might be on Prime. I need to have a look. I think it might oh, be. Oh, it might be. J.J. Yeah. Abrams did it. Um, uh, James Franco plays Jake. No. Um, I, I started it when I started reading and I said, oh, no, no, no. I don't want to compare the two, so I'm going to wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. wait until, yeah. yeah. I never yeah, like I to watch anything until I've read it. Oh, Ooh, my gosh. Yeah. Ugh. It's All right, so I'm good, you guys. <laughs> All right. Probably I'll watch it in six so months. <laughs> Maybe, maybe eight months. So we'll, we'll see. Oh, good point. Yeah, we we go shut and bone first. Yeah, so, that's yeah. that's what I'm watching in like six right, months. months. So yeah, so <laughs> let's. So yeah, I, I know. I'm sorry, guys. I'm on spring break this week, but I'm still working. But I'm gonna try to get something watched. Uh, so we'll see. I don't know. Working uh, hard or hardly working? Uh, well, <laughs> I'm actually working hard because we are entering oh. our our testing season for all of our state yeah. tests, and I Ooh. I run all of our state tests at our school. So, and we start the week we're back. Um, yeah, so our first big test is you know our state science test with all of our juniors, and I run testing, and this will be the first time that I'm running a test, and I won't be able to be on campus to run it. So now I have to like put it together, yeah. run it, but also train people to run it for me in the way that I would normally. Mm. It's, it's a mess. So, yeah. Wish me luck, guys. All mm. right. So, are we ready to uh, have our fun with our either or? Yeah. And it's a it's a Stephen King driven either or. All right. <laughs> I, Stephanie has put on her gloves. It's <laughs> It's quite funny. The, my top five are quite emotional, and then um, Holly went for the um, the actual Stephen King straight ones, where yeah. mine are related to the book. Yeah, and so like I'm like, oh, Liz, Liz's questions are great, and then I'm like, I don't know what else. I like all the ones I would have come up with are the same as she came up with. So I'm like, fine, we're just gonna pick books. So, <laughs> so you have to pick your favorite King books. Um, for me, it's <laughs> movies because I haven't read any of the books, so I'm basing it off the movies I liked. All right, oh, here by we go. Way, one last question, mm-hmm. Steph. What was the other favorite couple of yours from Stephen King? I was curious. Oh, um, Roland and Susan Delgado from The Dark Tower, specifically Ooh, okay. in book four, Wizard and Glass is their story, and it will break you just like this broke you. Ooh. 
I've only read the first one. I haven't read the other ones yet. So the fourth one is the best one, but I definitely okay. recommend the entire series. Um, <laughs> but oh my gosh, I mean, you could even read it as a standalone if you really wanted. It is just the most <laughs> incredible slash devastating love story you'll ever read. Why? Uh-huh. Why put yourself through that pain? <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. And there is room for that with me, but most of the time, like during the week, I gotta have one H E. I gotta have something turn out great. Yes. <laughs> great, great man who yes. just listens to every single thing I say and just thinks I'm the world. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's like we read to escape reality, not continue exactly. to live it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's go to either or. We're gonna go um, how we're gonna go kind of counterclockwise verse on based on how you are on my screen. So we're gonna go Liz, Jen, Steph, and then me. Okay. Okay. Got that. So Liz, you're first. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, All right. Easy. <laughs> Here we go. And again, it's we fail every time, but no explanation. Pick, and it's a quick, 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 quick. All right. Here we go. Question number one. Um, travel back in time or travel forward? Travel back in time. Back in time. Back in time. I agree. Back in time. Um, never know the love of your life or change the world completely to be with her. I I can't listen. I mm. change the world completely to be with her. Change the world. Change the world. Oh, look at Stephanie. <laughs> I can't, guys. Um, I guess I'm going to go with never know. And I, you know, as, as, as heartbreaking it is, I think I'd have to agree. I think I would have to pick never know. I'm a little mad you even made me think about it. <laughs> that was Liz's oh, question. Was- it was Liz's question. <laughs> Steph, I apologize for the next one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Here you go. All right. Grow old in the past loved or grow old in the present alone? I'm going to say the past. Grow old in the past. I would pick the past. I would 100% (laughs) take the past. 100%. (laughs) And be alone? Oh, the, the present is bad enough. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Uh, change the past or leave the past alone? Leave the past alone. Leave the past alone. <laughs> leave the past alone. <laughs> no context, right? That's right. <laughs> I'm really impressed. You really, really have that look like you're like, no. Um, I would agree. I'd say leave the past alone. Um, face Pennywise or try to stop the assassination of JFK. Both Ooh. bad choices. Face Pennywise. I think we move on. <laughs> Especially if I've got people to do with. <laughs> Try to stop the assassination. Try to stop the assassination. I would probably agree to face Pennywise, just because I don't oh, want. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to create an apocalyptic world. I want to see him. I don't want to see him. 
Can join me. That's right. Uh huh. <laughs> we can take him. All right. So the rest of these are picking picking your favorite Stephen King book out of these pairings. All right. Carrie or Pet Cemetery. Pet Cemetery. Carrie. Pet Cemetery. Pet Cemetery. <laughs> the Stand or It. 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 Okay, it. It's attached to my past, my childhood. Um, the Shining or Salem's Lot? The Shining. Salem's Lot. Salem's Lot. I'm going to go The Shining. Um, misery or The Mist? Oh, Misery. Misery, I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't read either. Oh. Have you seen any either? Oh, you gotta watch. So Misery. I'm gonna go Misery just by oh, reputation. Girl, you gotta see Misery. <laughs> the, mist, the mist. Oh my god. I'm going with the mist. Oh um. Okay. Last one. Say. Yeah. Go ahead. The mist you. is just the mist. The ending is just messed up to all bugger. You have to re- read. I have heard stuff. that. Mm-hmm. So it's like the worst ending ever. <laughs> <laughs> Worse than a post-apocalyptic world. Yes. <laughs> in the middle of a love story. Yeah, yes, in the middle sorry, of a love yes. story. <laughs> You've seen the mess, haven't you? Mm-hmm. It's messed up. It is. The ending is just. <laughs> oh. Yeah. No. Now I got. Mm-hmm. Now I want to go watch it again. It's been so long since I've seen it. Me too. <laughs> All right, our Me last. Too, we'll take it. Yeah, our last one: Firestarter or Under the Dome? Firestarter. 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 I'm going to break my rule and say I haven't read Firestarter, but it's still better than Under the Dome. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't read either. Good I've only know, watched Firestarter. Yeah. I've, I've, I haven't, obviously I haven't read them, but I've seen, I've seen both of them and definitely 100% Firestarter is, is much, much better. So. Under the Dome is an incredible book with a horrible ending in my opinion <laughs> <laughs> wait until you get to the mist yeah. not that you're opinionated about it or anything <laughs> i don't have strong feelings that's not why i'm here nope not at all all right before we kind of wrap it up let's go around and just let everybody know where they can find you on social media stephanie we'll start with you you can find me on Instagram at Books, Cats, Tacos. the three best things in the world um <laughs> jennifer I'm at Kindles all the way down on Instagram. Okay, Liz. Uh, I am on Instagram, Lizzie's Little Book Nook, and my website is Lizzie's Little Book Nook uh, I am on Instagram at AZ Desert Bookworm, and my website is www.azdesertbookworm.com. All right, so let's start with our next book club. I believe we are back in June, and we will um, be reading Emily, Henry. Emily Henry's new release. I believe her book is being released happy in place. in May. A happy yeah. place. So we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna jumpstart the summer with a with a hopefully for Jennifer a happily ever after book. <laughs> <laughs> I told my husband this morning. I said we're reading one of my favorite authors. <laughs> It's gonna be a happy end, happy ever after. I've only yes. read book. I've only read book lovers out hers. So they're always rom coms too. Uh-huh. Yeah, and she is sarcastic, just like me. Like I think 
the way that she writes. Yeah. And so I think everything okay. she writes is hilarious, but I'm from Los Angeles and like a lot of people are like, Oh, we don't know how to take you sometimes, but yeah, I, I've, I've read book lovers. book lovers. You haven't finished yeah. it. No, I just finished, oh, just it finished a couple it. weeks ago and I was blown away how good it is. Yeah. Like, I'm excited to read more of hers. That's the only oh, one I've read. She is so good. See, I've read two and I'm split down the middle because I loved book lovers, but I did not like the people we meet on vacation. Really? Uh-huh. All right, we yeah, can no, talk about that. Say, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll save that for June. Um, yeah. Between now and June, we do have a couple episodes coming up. Our next episode will drop on April 17th. We have our first repeat guest author. So excited. Um, Jessica Gravu Glover will be joining us. She is the author of um, Another Beast Skin series, and she has a brand new book coming out that's kind of, I believe it's a standalone. It's not connected to Another Beast mm. Skin. Um, but stars like Gasoline will be released towards the end of April. So she's going to join us um, kind of just about 10 days before the release of her brand new book. So we're so excited to welcome her back. And then um, uh, between now and then, I hope you guys, you know, maybe pick up 11, 22, 63 and, you know, dig into some JFK 1960s history. Um but we appreciate you guys coming on this ride with us and listening, and we hope that you are reading amazing books. So until next time, everyone, happy reading. Happy reading. Happy reading.